want to say thank you for listening. So our sponsors have given some great deals in this episode. Check these out. This episode of The Real Rescue Podcast is brought to you by Breeze Eastern, the world's only dedicated helicopter hoist and winch provider. SR3 Rescue Concepts, because you don't know what you don't know. And RescueSwimmershop.com, official high-quality apparel featuring the silhouette. Breeze Eastern, they dedicate themselves to our helicopter rescue world. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November of 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and the unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to the rescuers, the operators, and those being rescued has not. Contact them today by visiting them at breeze-eastern.com. SR3 Rescue Concepts is a training company that can help your helicopter training. They train daytime, nighttime, aerial firefighting, hoist, longline, fast rope, rappel, and more. They can assist your program with standardization and safety checks or just an FAA annual refresher. With the certified flight instructor pilots and experienced crew, they are ready to help your agency keep up to date with current techniques, rules, regulations, and equipment. Plus, right now, SR3 is offering 10% off anything in their web store with the promo code, all capital letters, REALRESCUE, R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q. Plus, they are offering 10% from their partners, Petzl, and their equipment. All you got to do is send an email to info at sr3rescueconcepts.com. Mention this podcast, The Real Rescue Podcast, and they'll take care of the rest. 15 years ago, photographer and Coast Guard rescue swimmer number 526, Chris Razok, created an iconic photograph. This photograph depicted the silhouette of a helicopter rescue swimmer reaching down for an outstretched hand in need against the American flag backdrop. The image went viral and became a symbol worldwide for the rescue community and the people they helped. Its wild popularity inspired Chris to launch RescueSwimmerShop.com, a web store offering official high-quality apparel featuring his evocative image, The Silhouette. T-shirts, hats, patches, and stickers featuring The Silhouette are available at RescueSwimmerShop.com, including the flagship design, So Others May Live. Follow Chris and his story on Instagram with the handle at Rescue Swimmer Shop. And if you are a rescue swimmer, support rescue swimmers, or just tell people you are one at the bar, this gear is definitely for you. When you get to the website, rescueswimmershop.com, enter the promo code, all lowercase, one word, rescue, R-E-S-C-U-E, for 10% off your order. I had a wonderful conversation with our next guest. This one was really fun for me because he did stuff that, as a rescue swimmer in the Coast Guard, there are very few people that do all the different avenues that he did. So I hope you enjoyed these stories as much as I did. Please welcome my friend, United States Coast Guard, rescue swimmer number 253, Mr. Ken Keast. 
My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Real Rescue Podcast. Today I've got with me another one of my brothers. United oh. States Coast Guard, rescue swimmer, number 253, Mr. Ken Keith. What's up, yeah, Ken? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's hear it. 253. That's right. Rock solid over here, man. Forget about it. Forget about it. Yeah. <laughs> What's up, brother? <laughs> Thanks for having me on the show. It's pretty cool. Dude, I, I am beyond excited to have you on, man. Uh, you know, you and I have been kind of talking offline here and there and trying to catch up and make this happen. Other than minor technical difficulties here and there, dude, I'm beyond pumped to have you on. It's going to be fun. So uh, because I know who you are and you and I have been through like EMT school together uh, or research anyway, which funny side story right there. I remember us sitting in class and then Ken walks in dude, all buffed up and jacked and, and like looked at the instructor and be like, I don't know what you're saying, man. This isn't this isn't what I've ever experienced. And I'm like, oh my God, he's going to jump up and rip her head off. <laughs> I was, you know me, I was always vocal, especially if I thought it was stupid. I said, I would always get into it. Oh, it was great. But I think like every other word was like F-bomb, F, 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 F. And I was like, <laughs> actually, yeah. you know what? Come to think of it, you might've been talking to Dustin Scara now that I think yeah, about it. You're probably right, yes. <laughs> yes, Sorry, Austin. Dustin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who is this guy oh it's the so over here. come on anyway all right so i know you for a little bit but for everybody else in the world that doesn't know you please introduce yourself a little bit of background about you and really one how you came into the coast guard and two how you became the rescue swimmer all in one all right so i started out in the united states army uh believe it or not i was a cook and i did that for the Tennessee Army National Guard. I enjoyed it so much, I went active duty uh, after I graduated high school. And um, spent about five years on active duty. I was rounding out my tour duty in West Germany when it was split. We were uh, second armored division forward. Berlin, we were Berlin's uh, first line of defense should they fall. Anyways, we're out doing our friggin' eating the mud and doing our road marches and living in the friggin' just the wastelands of southern Germany. And it's muddy and it's raining and we're on a road march to our new site and this friggin' helicopter lands probably about 100, 150 yards from us. And I was like, hey, Sarge. I said, who are those guys, man? I mean, the Jeep's running out there to pick them up. And they're like, Sarge's like, Keister, that's the air crew. They're coming in for their daily shower. It's like, Daily shower? We we haven't showered in two freaking weeks. What what do you mean? What do you mean daily shower? Man, I said to myself, one of these days, I'm gonna be part of a helicopter crew. I don't know what position, but I'm gonna be on a helicopter. So I ETS out of the army, and uh, I heard about this new program going on as uh, rescue swimmers back in the uh, late '80s. And so, in 1989, January, I went to Coast Guard boot camp. And the rest is history. I was groomed right into becoming a, an ASM, rescue swimmer. And it was, I don't look back because it it's been a, a hell of a career. I loved every minute of it. 
man, that is, that is awesome. Gosh. <laughs> and I did it. I saw it. I, you know, I think God landed a helicopter. I was like, Keith, you need to get the heck out of the army and join the Coast Guard. I got things. There's people that you're going to need to rescue. I, like, I did it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, some of the units that you've been to, we're going to touch on on a couple of them specifically: uh, Detroit, Michigan, um, Clearwater, Florida, and then a little bit in Sacramento. And then I know you went into being a company commander, which I'm, I'm stoked to hear about. And then you retired out of the A school. Uh, yes. Are there any other units that were missing out of there that you went to? Nope. That's it. Wait. All right. So where did you start then? Your first unit was in. Right out of school, I uh, was in Clearwater. Sweet. So these the stories that uh, that came out of Clearwater are basically like the articles that, that you and I had talked about offline. Right. Oh yeah. Let's start with these. This, this is going to be great. So actually, before we go, that I ask everybody, what was your very first rescue? All right. So I'm trying to recall. You know, my gray matter is not what it used to be. So. <laughs> My very, it was, it wasn't really part of being in the water. It was, I was still doing my line crew stuff and I was still out there training. But what really sticks in my, my mind was J.K. Smith. He was our first class petty officer down there in Clearwater. J.K. is awesome. Evidently, he's still down there doing his job as a civilian. But anyways, he says, hey, Keist, you need to grab two body bags and you need to meet the H3 out there on the flight line by the C-130s. There's two bodies that you need to you need a bag. And I'm like, I'm just looking at my jaws. Like I thought I'd be rescuing live people. You want me to do what? Sure enough. I got out there and, uh, there was two guys, they were deceased and, uh, me and the flight mech had to bag these guys up and then medical came out and we, you know, put them on, uh, their little Daihatsu and they got them over there. But the crazy thing is the, those two guys that were picked up, um, they, they perished. Their wife, it was just after Christmas. Their wives bought them a, a boat to go have fun on. And I guess they had gotten a little too crazy on it. They were expelled out of the boat and they drowned. Oh. Yeah. It was, they drowned from their wife's Christmas present. It was like, oh. that's really sticking in my head. I mean. And that was kind of, it wasn't even like, you didn't even fly on that. You just had to go. I just home. had, yes. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Welcome to Rescue Swimmer, baby. Hope you enjoy it. But, you know, and I knew there was, that's going to be part of it. And, you know, uh, you know, not, you're not always going to get live people, but uh, yeah. But when you do though, that's, it, it's, it's, it's like winning the lottery when you, when you rescue people, man, it's just amazing. But yeah. that ruling right there is just, it was like, welcome to ASM, being an ASM. Here's two dead bodies. Bag them, Keister. Bag them and tag them. Crazy, crazy. Yeah, I, you know, you, I'm not supposed to laugh at stuff like that, but that's what we have to do to get through some of this stuff. Like, no people kidding. don't get it. You're so morbid. That's that's all you have. No, what is wrong with you? Nothing, nothing. black humor. That's how we live. I, yes, right. That's how we live. <laughs> yeah, you had to totally, totally. So, that man, that that's a tough way to start the uh, getting into the rescue, but man. But you know what? Doesn't matter because you actually had an amazing career throughout, and and I'm I'm gonna touch on some of the ones that you sent me right here because it's they're pretty freaking awesome. So um, I'll start with this one right here, Miami Dade, Florida. 
Broadward Plus. This is October 29, 2001. And the, the title of the article in the newspaper is Two Stranded Boaters Rescued, One Lost at Sea. And down later in the article, it says three men, uh, three men, none of which were wearing life jackets, began to drift south in 12-foot waves and a current upward of 20 knots. They managed to reach an offshore light structure and it was clinging to it. Dude. Yeah. All right. How'd that roll? All right. The way that went down was, uh, you know, we've, we got lots of, we were told there was three uh, people in the water. So of course, you know, we're balls of the wall, kick the tires, light the fires, we're gone. Yeah. So we got our search pattern and we're searching and we're searching and probably about an hour into it, I could see, I could see the structure off on the horizon and something just told me to ask the pilot if he would mind, you know, break the search pattern and just let's go check it out. I know it's way out of the search pattern, but you know, crazier shit has happened. So, uh, he, he said, you know what, let's do that. Let's just, let's just let's go. So we screamed over there and as we're getting closer, I'm like, I think I see a guy waving a, a wetsuit and sure enough, you know, he's butt ass naked and he's, he's shaking the, his orange wetsuit and he's like, Whoa, we got him. You know, we got him. So I deployed, I got to the platform and I'm talking to the guys. They were, you know, totally dehydrated, uh, got him off that platform, got him into the helo. And at which time we're talking to him and the, you know, they're, they're like the third guy perished. He, he, he drowned. We watched him. He drowned. He's, he's no longer with us. Yeah. Like, wow. Okay. So the pilots, you know, rodeo back to uh, group St. Pete at the time and they suspended the search and we RTB that's return to base. So, um, you know, we, I just risk, you know, it was, it was cool. The, I, you know, I saved our lives. I thought it was cool, but you know, it's just, it's part of the day's work. It's like if yeah. somebody got a cup of coffee and drove to work, that's okay. I rescued three people. Great. On to the next thing. Oh yeah. Keith. You need to go pack that raft. Roger that. Cool. Go pack that. <laughs> but uh, later on, it, it, uh, the, one of the pilots came over to this survival shop and he said, hey, Keith, I got some really strange news. Remember that the two guys you pulled out the platform? I was like, yeah, what about them? They're all okay, aren't they? And, but yeah, he said, it appears that the family members from the third guy that perished, uh, they hired a private investigator and they believe that the two guys actually murdered the third guy guy and i was like you gotta be kidding me <laughs> and so here i'm thinking oh my god we're gonna be gonna have to go to court this and that and he says i'll fill you in if anything further happens but i really didn't follow up on it but i there was an article that was printed and it was suggesting that these two guys actually did murder the third i don't think if i don't know if it was ever proved or not wow pretty crazy stuff man yeah that that's that's weird that's <laughs> Yeah, that that get, that turns into like that weird, you know, because you know, like you're swimming up to them, you're like, oh, I got you guys, man, and and all of a sudden they have this, you don't know what's going on in the back of their mind, and you're like, oh, oh, yes. what the, yes, Dang. yes, dude, yeah. that, that's pretty funny. Um, you know what? Let me go. Let me go back really quick. You sure. you had my first rescue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. What really sticks out too, back on the H3, when we were in the H3 days, the storm of the century that oh. blew through the Gulf of Mexico. Okay. 
we were, I mean, every available aircraft were flying on that. That was like, geez, man, 1992, 93 timeframe. Anyways, um, it was rough. The Gulf of Mexico, I'm telling you, looked like the Atlantic. 50, 60 foot friggin' swells, just gigantuan out there in the Gulf. And uh, <clears throat> we, were, we were flying to a position, the last known position of an individual that had an EPIRB. And we got there and we saw all kinds of wreckage. And uh, we, we saw the body, but the thing, we even had a reporter with us. He did take some pictures. So the pilot was, was timing it. So when the crest of the wave at 50, 60 feet, he would time it. So as soon as it went to the, 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 uh, the trough, boom, he'd lower the H3. And he did that two or three times. He said, okay, I think I got this. We went down. We ended up gaffing the guy because he didn't want to deploy me. He's like, I don't think I'll ever find you again, Keith. He said, so let's just gaff this guy, pull him on the platform on the H3 and get him in here. So we just about had him on that platform, man. And all of a sudden, all we hear is up, up, up. And there goes the H3. And the frigging gaff broke. The body dropped at about 50 feet back into the ocean. And we're going up higher and higher. And I was like, oh, man, the waves are just crashing and breaking. And at that point, the pilot said, look, we've got RTB. We're bingo. Our fuel's low. Another H3 is on the way. Needless to say, they never did find the guy again, ever. And when we had our debrief, they were telling us that there was like 300 or more Mayday calls. And only about 75 to 100 bodies were ever recovered. So if you placed one body with every one of those, there's still 200 plus people missing at sea. And they were never, to this day, ever found. That was, Joma the Century was crazy. It was crazy. Oh, yeah, so that would pretty much be my first rescue, really. Oh, that was insane. You know, I, so it's interesting you say that because, you know, like I talk about it with Jeff Tonks and um, Butch Flythe and all those guys, that, like old school guys. And it, it, was, it was like now, if you were to put that in now terms, oh, the swimmer's going in the water all day. Yes, you know, absolutely. We, we as swimmers have – have made that mark of like, you can trust us to know what we're doing in the water. And that's and, what I told the pilot. I said, sir, I'm trained to last 30 minutes in yeah. any state. You right, know? right. And he goes, yeah, I know you, Keith. I know you could do this. He said, but I don't feel confident that I'm going to be able to recover you in this. Yeah. He said, look down there, it's Armageddon. I was yeah. like, I know it'd be great training too. But he's like, well, <laughs> if it doesn't work out, you know, yeah. we'll get you. And yeah. of course, with so many attempts trying to get this guy and time in the trough and the crest and yeah, we ran out of fuel and uh, it really sucks. I wanted closure for the family. Yeah. I mean, I, you know what, it, again, as tra- uh, transitions more and more and more into the, the current is to what everybody does now. It's, it's, yeah, yeah it's amazing. It's, it's, it's yeah. just, so wow. Storm of the century. Good Lord. 50 foot waves in the Gulf of Mexico. That is yes. big. Jesus. Yeah, otherwise known as the bathtub, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not that day. Oh gosh, that's funny. Um, all right, so you actually had another pretty cool case in in Clearwater, Florida. Again, another article got got made out. Uh, this one, this one's pretty cool because, like, when I read this article, I was like, "Dang, this is pretty awesome." So it actually says this is the uh, Chattanooga Times Free Press. And I, I don't have the date in front of me on this one in particular, but it says rescue. Three were in the water for 46 hours. Uh, 
I mean, right here, and it says, all right, Dayton native Ken Keith rescues three men adrift at sea. Like 46 hours. That's crazy. Battering 12 foot waves. Uh, the men crossed 30 feet of water. Oh, no, that was when you went down. So I, I don't want to read any more of this because take yeah. it. I mean, what did you get? You got called out on basically three divers. That yes. Got, okay. You know, as you know, me, Meathead, I was in the gym working out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the SAR alarm goes off and like, now it launches 60. Three PIW. Like, yeah. So get out there. The <laughs> so, wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. I, I got. Yeah, I love the fact that you just said that right now because they're having the worst day of their life and we're all pumped up like, yes, it's so yes. <laughs> Sorry yes. for everybody that's having a bad day, but we are excited. We're coming to get you. We get excited. But yeah, when it's your worst day, we get excited for that because we know we're going to pull your ass right out of your hell and bring you back. God. So, yeah. So we're flying out there and there's a C-130 out there. They actually got the people. They know where they're at. They deployed a raft. And uh, I was like, wow, this is going to be easy to find. So we got out there. That I deployed, free fell in, swam to these guys. And uh, Hilo pulled away. And I'm talking to them like, so what happened? You know, and they're like, well, you know, we, we our boat actually got swamped and it sank. And then we were left with just our dive gear and what we had on incredible right and, and i'm like you bet you know 46 hours what did you drink what did you drink so the guy the older gentleman he pulls out his dentures and he says well it rained out here so every we would catch the water in my dentures and we would pass my dentures around and we'd all drink the water out of my dentures oh like, my. True story. True story. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. survival oh, it's survival yeah. doesn't matter do it that was do the it they had you know, wow. And it worked. They stay, they stay hydrated. Anyways, I, uh, I pulled them in, you know, basket, all of them. And the, the coolest feeling, because it, you know, as being a, a friggin' uh, AST, you know, spend so much, so much time with the inflatables and the rafts. And they're such a pain sometimes trying to get them in their package. I was so friggin' excited. And I got to stab the piss out of the raft. Run that son of a bitch and sink it. Scuttle the ref, Keith. That's all I needed to hear. I'm like, oh, man. That was great. I took all my frustration out on all the rafts I've ever done on that raft right there. It was fun. <laughs> so the guys actually survived. They lived, you know, and, and just another day at work. Just another day in the office. Oh, yeah. I freaking love our job. All right. Uh, so for people that don't... Uh, totally know everything that we do outside of our rescue swimmer and going to save people and stuff we we do a lot of shop maintenance and what what ken's talking about here is we will in, inflate all of the rescue rafts on all the aircrafts and we put them on a uh usually a 12 out 12 hour off the top of my head uh, two two i'm sorry two hour yeah. yeah two hour leak check Make sure, you know, they inflate and they stay inflated and stuff. And then you have to pack them down. And you'll always hear the majority of the swimmers say, yeah, we're taking 10 pounds of shit and packing it in a five pound bag. Cause that yes, is, we're, yep. I mean, you're, you got like three guys laying on the raft. You're pulling it with zip ties and tying it with string. And <laughs> yes. so the fact that you're like, you're stabbing this thing. I'm angry. Yep. 
<laughs> every single AST behind me, and they're just they're driving. I'm like, who's moving this? All the ASTs that are all I've been pissed off these records. It was great. It was a good feeling. Oh, that's good. Um, so now back to these three guys. When you got up into the helicopter with them, I imagine they were just or you pulled something. You said you you grabbed something out of the raft. Yes, I actually did because uh they wanted the uh the medical wanted the their scuba tanks and stuff. So I actually recovered their scuba tanks and we took those back because they wanted, I guess maybe to see if they got poisoned by it, if whatever. But uh yes, that's pretty much everything I pulled out of there. Nice. I and now when you get up into the Gila with these guys, how was their like how was your interaction there? It was pretty cut and dry, you know. Uh they were just you couldn't friggin' knock their smiles off of the baseball bat. They were just elated, you know, it's like, and as usual, you know, it's cool. You know, you feel good. You save somebody's life. You bring in a dad and somebody's husband back home, you know, they're yeah. going to be able to hug their kids again, their wife again. And, you know, you don't really think about that until, you know, later on when, you know, the CEO uh, brings the, the survivors to the air station and they're like, hey, Dr. Casey, they're the guys you saved. And then, you know, what really, really gets you as a swimmer is, I remember, this little kid came up to me and he hugged my, he just hugged me so tight and he's crying. And he said, thank you for bringing my dad back to me. Wow. Dude, I, it's still, that. And that's what it's all about right there. You can, you know, it's not about the accolades. It's not about the awards. It's, it's that when, yeah. when that little kid says, man, thanks for bringing my dad back home. Yeah. If that doesn't bring a tear to you, man, I, it just, and you're like, yep, this is why I do this. This is why I risk my life. So others may live. This is why I go out there to bring you home. I don't have to come home, but I'm going to get you home. If I die getting you home, you know what? That's what God wanted me to do. That's my job. That's what I'm here to do. I've done everything I could to get you where you yes. need to be. Yes. I'm getting you back home. Dude, that's amazing. Man, I love, I miss my job every day. It sucks being retired. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, I'll tell you what, let's, let's keep going because you've got yeah. so many stories to, to, you know, I, there are guys in our, our world that do stuff that they, they have one story or two stories and, and that's it. They've, that's all they ever gotten. You, you've got, you, you got a good look of the draw, I'll call it. And yes. you said uh, there was one, you talked about Cubans that you picked up. Yeah, that's, that's another one. Um, we got a call. It was fairly early in the afternoon and, you know, we're flying to uh, off of Key West and the pilot said, yes, uh, there's a there's an organization called Brothers to the Rescue. They they fly between the Keys, Miami and, and Cuba looking for rafts or inner tubes or what, whatever it may be, but possible Cubans trying to come to the United States. So we got a call that Brothers to the Rescue saw a small fishing vessel and people were signaling to get off and they called us. And we got there. I deployed to the to this makeshift uh, boat. It was really rickety. It's taken on water, and there were five Cubans on there. But you know, being prior army and being always on the the uh, 
the alert to look for things out of the ordinary, I was concerned. You know, they're coming from a communist regime. Do these people want to do me harm or do they want to hurt my pilot, co-pilot, you know, the people that are going to get us back home? So I was really concerned about that. Uh, I, I boarded their boat. And before I could even stand up, you know, two of them are grabbing me and hugging me and and just kissing my cheeks. And I'm like, and they're saying, America, America. And, and they're pointing. And I'm like, yes, yes, America, America. And I don't speak Spanish very well, but I got them to strip down to their underwear because I felt if I could get them in their underwear, they're not going to bring guns, knives or anything to kill my pilot, co-pilot, you know? Right. Yeah. So what I like to say is our, our glorified bus drivers. Anyways. <laughs> so, you know, what? I, I, I love all of my pilots. I, I do. I love them. They're phenomenal. But there's a story about that when I was a CC. But anyways, okay, okay. I got all the paper put in a Ziploc bag. And that's when we had our little SAR-1. It was orange, had a flip little pouch in the front. I got all the papers in there. And I'm taking them one-to-one, one-by-one. Now, they ain't, like, I think 12 or 13 was the youngest on there. And the oldest was probably 31, 32. And um, I'm getting them one-by-one. One, and it's really, it, it sucked because the boat couldn't be anchored. So... Every time, you know, they came down, I got the guy in the basket, the helicopter's rotor wash, put the boat further. I get over there, get the next guy. It was like swimming 300 miles when I was done. Oh but I was God. so pumped, you know, I wasn't even tired. And they're like, you were in the water for like 45 minutes. And I'm like, dude, it felt like five minutes. You sure it wasn't just five? And uh, and the whole time they're on there. Now we're done. We've, we're, we're going back to, uh, to Key West. They're like America. They just tears in their eyes. They're crying. They're like just saying America, America. And I could feel these guys wanted freedom, man. They wanted to, nothing more. You know, they risked their lives to come to America. And uh, we're, we're we landed in Key West. And uh, as we're uh, getting everybody off the Hilo, you know, Customs is there, and and every, they wanted to check these guys out. And this these two big, huge, like black SUVs show up. And I'm like, yo, uh, sir, who is that? You know, talk to the pilot. He goes, uh, that's brothers to the rescue. They're, they're here. They're going to adopt these five guys into the, they're, they're going to be adopted into a Cuban family. I was like, sweet. Thank God. You know, that's awesome. That's so cool that the, the Cuban community is so tight like that in, in the United States and, and in Miami, it's awesome. I love the way they love each other. Anyways, uh, it all worked out great. They were adopted. And then later on that evening, because it was we were pretty much, you know, in the bag with our flight time, we got to uh, invited to a restaurant on Duval Street. It was a Cuban restaurant and we cleaned up. We got there. And when we entered the people that owned the restaurant and some of the brothers to the rescue were there and they all stood up. They're clapping and they're all running up to us, hugging us, thanking us. And, you know, we're we're just like overwhelmed with this love and generosity. They fed us till we were fat and happy. And wow. they were just so thankful that the United States Coast Guard brought five of their brothers to the United States so that they could free themselves from that regime over there, that Cuban nastiness. And God, you know, it's just. Another part of the job, you know, we, we, we made five Americans that day, you know, it's wow. kind of cool. What a trip, man. That's yeah. crazy. 
Yeah, it was fun. That was awesome. That was really cool. Oh, that's that's a ki- wow killer story. Yes. Um, out of curiosity, I so I I've I've learned this technique, and I'm, I'm going to Monday morning quarterback that case in particular. Absolutely. If you had stayed in the boat and done just a, a trail line to the basket and just pulled it down to you and and just left the trail line connected, could that could you have done that with that vessel? I mean, I I know the rotor wash of the H sixty is is re, it, it, the downwash is ridiculous, but you know, like would that have just made it worse for you, or you know, I I like as ever all you know, my brothers out there know me as you know, Keith always does things the hard way. So, <laughs> but I like doing things the hard way. Um, I'm very methodical, and I. You know, I have this thing of what I want to do, and I didn't. I've never thought about the trail line, you know. And I guess it probably would have worked, but at the time, it was just my balls at a wall swimming and sweet. Excuse people, and I'm loving it. I, I'm just thinking saving lives. Yeah, but that yeah. probably would have worked. Probably would you know. Worked. Well, I I bring that up because there there's a lot of techniques that I've learned since I've been like with all the years of experience because I like you hear this all the time, you know, we, we swim, we get in, we swim back and forth to the boat. Yes. And now I look at it like, how can I swim plus be efficient? You know, right. swim to the boat. Now I stay on the boat. So now I don't have to swim as hard. And now, you know, my yes. the helicopter stay in a certain distance, you know, just stuff Works like that. Harder. Exactly. Exactly. So sure. kind of interesting to, to think about. But again, I mean, when you're in a, when you're in a boat like that, you know, if, if the rotor washes over it too much, now all of a sudden you flip the boat. Yeah, I or... think that's what, yeah, I think the pilot, uh, I think he was concerned about that, possibly flipping it. That's why I he didn't see that. get close to it. Yeah, right on. Cool. Yeah, man. Freaking awesome. Many more, many more. <laughs> yeah. Well, all right, so you actually mentioned another one that you had down in Clearwater, which was uh, a yacht. Like yes. A... Go yeah, ahead, it... my friend. This, this is all right, you. Well... Here we are, you know, as you know, being in clear water, you get to do some really cool stuff called OPBAT, Operation Turks and Caicos, Drug Enforcement. And we got a little place, uh, you know, great in Agua. And we got woke up at like two in the morning and it's like, hey, Keith, we need to go. There's a there's an emergency. One of the crew members is, has fallen from the flying bridge down to the fantail and he's possibly injured himself. I'm like, cool, let's go, man. And uh we do our thing. We, you know, kick the tires, light the fires, get the hell out of there. We're steaming towards this, uh, this yacht, about a 95 foot yacht. I don't even know what to expect. You know, I'm going over my head. Okay. You know, all the scenarios, what am I going to do? How am I going to package them? Okay. Yep. 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 Don't move him backboard, you know, roll, 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 get him into the Stokes litter into the helo. Okay. Yeah. 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 You know, we, 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 you know, you're playing all this in your head. As you know, when you're in the back of that 60 or 65, or whatever, you're working it out in your head. This is how it's going to roll. You know? yeah. What if it goes this way? What if? So anyhow, uh, we get on scene. It's pretty choppy. I'd probably say three to four foot seas. Uh, and it's dark. <laughs> so they lower me to the vessel. And sure enough, there's a gentleman on the, on the uh, fan tail. And he is just in so much pain. You know, he's breathing. He can talk. Good. His airway, you know, that's good to go. See collar him, and I pretty much do this by myself because it's it's there's so much crap back there. But I managed to slowly and methodically get him on the backboard, 
And then finally, one of the crew came and helped, and we got him into the Stokes litter and got him into the helo and got him on full flow oxygen. We're, we're steaming towards uh, the airport and in, uh, in Nassau, the airport in Nassau. They've got a, a medical fixed wing flight standing by waiting for this guy nice. to, uh, to take him to Miami. And here we go. We land, we get, we've got the Stokes litter, me and the flight mecca, and we get to this friggin' aircraft and it's not very big, this fixed wing aircraft. And it's like, we can't really get the Stokes litter in there. So I put them down. I strap everything in. I'm like, look, this may get a little uncomfortable. We're going to have to turn you sideways to get you in there. So he was well strapped in. He wasn't moving. And we slowly got him in, you know, two of the air crew that were there on the fixed wing helped us. And we, we boarded him, got him on, boom, they took off. And, you know, I didn't hear anything else on this guy. What happened as usual, another day at the office, go back to base, get some coffee and uh, start the day. Yeah. A couple months later, there's a, a, the, the CO in Clearwater, you know, he's got the CO's newsletter, CO notes. And he's like, hey, I want to reach out, thank the crew that saved this man's life from the dancing bear. His back was broken in four different places. What? Yeah. Had he not been properly taken care of by the rescue swimmer, he wouldn't be walking today. He's walking. He's talking. Yeah. And uh, I was like, sweet. Cool. I got now I know what happened. And that's what happened. Wow. Yeah. Dude, that's awesome. Yes. Wow. Yeah, I didn't know it, you know, but, you know, we assume broken back, broken neck. Right. And sure enough, it was. And yeah, I could have just been really sloppy, quick, you know, but nope. You know, EMT school was amazing for us. That's one thing they showed us, man. Be methodical, be slow, make sure everything's secure, do it the right way. And man, that's it. And we train that way. So yeah, we train as we fight. And the guy's walking today. Pretty cool. I like that, it. That's pretty that awesome. Cool. <laughs> that's pretty awesome yeah uh I, dude, I'm, I'm gonna ask like i i don't have any more notes and stuff like on clearwater but because you were there for so long yeah i'll tell you there's another crazy cra- this is crazy okay. cray cray we're out doing some slumber <laughs> training over there by the skyway bridge afternoon beautiful day beautiful water and uh upon says hey keist we uh we need to break from training it looks like there's a guy on a barge uh, complaining. The captain's saying he's he has a hernia. I'm like, he's got a hernia. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna medevac him out of there and take him to Tampa General. I'm like, all right, cool. Sounds like fun. So we get over to this barge. You know, it's 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 a tug pushing the barge, and I see a bunch of guys on the deck. You know, just like there was a fight. You know, like in high school, and everybody's got this circle. I get lowered to the barge. The captain comes and meets me and says. Uh, so this is the deal. Um, there, uh, he's bleeding a little bit. I'm like, well, can you tell me what happened? I mean, I heard hernia. Does he have a hernia? As we're walking, he says, no. What happened was, he uh, he straddled a line that took tension and it parted between his legs. Oh no! I'm like, oh great. So I make my way through the crowd. They open up, and the guy's laying on his back. And uh, all I hear the, him saying, the patient's like, am I going to be okay? Am I going to be okay? And there's a towel that used to be white that is now crimson red between his legs. And I'm like, wow, hernia. Wow, great. What is this? You know, what? I've never seen an injury, you know. 
So I moved the towel. Brother, it looked like a banana was peeled. Oh, peeled back. no. I'm like, oh, my God, they don't teach us this in EMT school. <laughs> How do I treat that? So oh. I put them on high flow O2, and uh, I kind of was gingerly as I could. You know, the whole time I'm trying to package his package. Uh, <laughs> package his pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> Am I going to be okay? Am I going to, I'm like, the doctors would let you know. Yeah, you're good. You know, it's, you're going to be okay. You're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. And the whole time I'm thinking, this dude's never going to have sex again in his life. His his junk is gone. It's gone. I mean, I don't even see his testicles. I just see banana peels all red. Oh, God. Pretty disgusting. But, you know, hey, I I got to know. Anyway, packs him, got him into Tampa General and, offloaded them, told them what we got. They took them in. I don't know what happened. to. We never get any follow-ups. So I don't know what happened to that guy. Yeah, very rarely. Very rarely. That was, so see, a, a daytime swimmer flight, because you're the ready can turn into, uh, my, my junk looks like a banana peel. Go take care of it. <laughs> yeah. Oh you never know what the day's gonna get. Yeah, you never know what you're gonna get. Which makes our job so cool because it's never the same thing twice. I love it. Oh, good times, brother. Good times. Freaking Ken, freaking stories. God, <laughs> you know this is why I love doing this, talking about this, right? Because yeah. I, I can't get enough of this. It's ridiculous. I know. Hopefully, when you compile all this, cut. You need to put it down in a book. You know, just short stories. Uh, you know, ASM short stories. ASM right. <laughs> Dude, it would sell. Sell like uh, crazy. I'll stick to the I podcast. Buy. I got I this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I let me let me uh let me bring you out to uh, I'm gonna pull out a, out of Clearwater now. Let's go up to Detroit. So you get stationed in Detroit. Um, you know, there was this was this was pretty cool to me. And and the rescue that I'm gonna read the award here, uh, which I think is just I yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing the whole story for this. So yeah. You ready? Yeah. All right. Okay. Citation to accompany the award of the Coast Guard Achievement Medal to Ken Keast, Aviation Survival, Second Class, United States Coast Guard. Pedestrian Keast is cited for superior performance while serving as rescue swimmer on H65-6506 on 21 March 1998 while engaged in a hazardous medical evacuation of a two-year-old child with severe head injuries. The child had been struck by a car on Pelee Island, Ontario, sustaining life-threatening head trauma, which required immediate medical attention at the hospital on the mainland. Limited visibility from low cloud cover and heavy snowfall, combined with high winds, 15-foot seas, and icing conditions, precluded evacuation of the child by any other means. Demonstrating exceptional professional competence on arrival at scene, Petty Officer Keese quickly assessed the victim's condition, discovering it was worse than had been originally briefed. The child was in imminent danger from shock and hypothermia, with a body temperature of only 84 degrees. Petty Officer Keese monitored and treated the child under difficult conditions, including turbulence and the noisy aircraft environment. As the child's condition deteriorated, lapsed in and out of consciousness, Petty Officer Keese took direct action to keep him awake and increase his core body temperature. 
His knowledge and professional actions directly contributed to saving the life of this child. Petty Officer Key's diligence, perseverance, and devotion to duty are most heartily commending in keeping with the highest traditions of the United States Coast Guard. Ken, <gasps> dude, the, I mean, 15-foot seas, like high wind, snowfall, low cloud cover. No other means can come get this kid. Nope, no other means. Oh, yeah, bring me it through was, it. You know, it was literally, it was a blizzard. It was, you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. It was that much, it was, it was a blizzard. Anyhow, we were in the day room. And Air Station Detroit, we get a call. Hey, ready crew, uh, late two maintenance control. So we hightail it over there. The pilots are in there like, hey, we've got a situation going on. Okay, what's the situation? They said, look, there is a two-year-old on Peely Island. It's a Canadian island. And he was hit by a car. We, if you guys agree, we, we would like to go get him. I'm like, well, yeah, that's a no-brainer. I said, but what about the doesn't Canada have a Coast Guard? He's like, well, here's the deal. The Canadian Coast Guard deemed it too risky that beyond their means, the Canadian Coast Guard said they will not fly on it. It's too bad. And wow. it's this, the conditions were so severe, they denied to do the case. I'm like, ha, kick the tires again, light the fires, let's get the F out of here. We got a baby to save. Are you yeah. freaking kidding me? So, yeah, we pushed the 65 out, and I'm, it's a blizzard. And I'm like, you know, I'm saying my prayers, God, you know, let's save this kid. Stay with us. Let us get there. Let's save this kid's life. And we're flying. Thank God for George. George is the computer on that 65 and the and the friggin' expertise of our pilots. They got us to the island and uh, we actually landed and I got out. And this two-year-old, oh my God, it's just, he was out. He, you know, I'm doing a sternum rub trying to get him to some kind of reaction and, just barely, you know, he would flicker his eyes. Rub to a two-year-old. Yeah, I, and I, I'm like, wow, this is this is it, Keister man. So high flow O2, uh, packs him up, make sure he's nice and warm, and I get him in there, and I and I tell the pilots, I said, blast the heat. I don't care if we sweat our balls off. Blast the heat. Blast the heat. Blast the heat. And um, from what I can see, this two-year-old has got a basal skull fracture, and what that is. That's the top is loose from the bottom, from his eye socket over the top of his ears, back to the, his back of his head, over the next ear and to the next eye socket, literally separated. Wow. And I just, you know, I, I'm like, and I'm praying the whole time. I don't think I did. I did not stop praying. God, we've got to save this two-year-old. He's only two, you know? Yeah. And um, I did everything I could to keep him warm. And uh, to keep them alive, you know, we can't push drugs, but uh, man, it seemed like forever, but I don't think it took us but maybe 15 minutes to get to the hospital. And wow. uh, uh, yeah. how, wait, how, how long did it take you to get from Detroit to Peely Island? I'm going to say it took us, man, it seems like it took us an hour, you know, wow. it's just like, it was not, I'm like, we got to get there. We got to get there. We got to get there. And, you know, I'm looking out the window. I can't even, because it's like putting a, a white sheet of paper in front of your eyeballs. That's what it was looking out the window. You couldn't see anything. You couldn't see any obstructions. Thank God George kept us away from everything. Yeah. And, um, but it seemed like forever, it seemed like it took us longer to get to the hospital, but 
you know, after we had the debrief, it was fairly quick from picking him up and getting him there. And uh, it was just, I was heartbroken, you know, and it, it just, it, it draws on you. It, you know, an adult, same an adult, but when you've got a title, man, you, man, you're going to, you're going to bleed sweat, man, everything to save that kid. Yeah. And um, he ended up, he, yes, he did live. Which and, is awesome. Uh, Amazing, amazing yeah. work. And it, it was several months later. Well, anyways, came down to it. You know, I get this award, but, you know, uh, Captain Courier at the time, who became the Coast Guard's vice commandant, Admiral Courier, he was my CO there, Captain. And he was amazing. He loved his rescue swimmers. So he's like, Keith, look at this. You know, the French prime minister wrote letters to me thanking me yeah. and you guys you know, for saving this two-year-old. I'm like, the French prime minister, you're <laughs> kidding. You know, he showed me the letter and it's crazy, awesome, really cool stuff. And um, we got called back to that island later on um, because the parents wanted to personally, you know, hug us and yeah, us. And we landed and let me tell you, it, I thought we were the president of the United States. You know, the mayor of the island was there uh, the family came out and wow. Harry was there and he's running around playing football with his brother and oh. like nothing happened. And I was like, thank you, God. Look at this. Look at what you did. You know, you helped me to save him. It was cool. It was just cool. Yeah. Another score for the Coast Guard. Hoorah. Man, yes. that, that is awesome. I couldn't believe it. Though. Is that, you know, you know, when the Canadian Coast Guard, you know, they're supposed to be badasses. And they said, oh, we can't do it. I'm like, you know, we got to do it. Come on, you know, and the pot, they were like, yes, let's go. But it was a two-year-old, man. How could you say no? You can't say no to that. So I, I got to give mad props to your entire crew for that too, because, you know, we all know what it's like. You're taking off. It's basically yes. zero, zero. And, you know, like, so civilian side, it's illegal to take off. You know, FAA uh -huh. requires whatever it is they require. I don't, I don't remember off the top of my head. Sorry for all the pilots out there. They're like, oh, Courtney, what's wrong with you? But what's yeah. Not? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Check us out the door. But um, that like taking off zero zero is like no joke. Like you're oh, yeah. you're trusting pure instruments to get from point A to point B. So your pilots are on point to get there, to, even to come in for the landing in that you yes. know, zero zero. I'm gonna call it zero zero. I don't know if it actually was or not, but it's it's that's a not that's not an easy feat. So and now you have to be concerned in the back winds bouncing around the turbulence trying to keep the aircraft warm trying to keep the child warm like it's pretty badass it's awesome yeah thanks it was cool it was good job that's really one of the highlights of my career not everybody gets to save the life of a two-year-old no nope well yeah. done sir thank you thank you yep. thank you very much you're I welcome left the building <laughs> <laughs> oh all right. Uh, anything else stand out in you to Detroit? Um, I had another uh, individual up there that I got called out on. He was a jet skier. He, uh, he as well, <clears throat> did something screwed up. And I was lowered to the water and I packaged him up and he went to the hospital. And then he came back months, 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 almost a year later and showed us some x-rays. He's like, shaking my hand, hugging me. He says, my back was broken in five different places. And because you packaged me so well, here I am. I got metal rods in my back. 
but I'm alive because of how you treated me. I was like, you know, EMT school, dude, you know, they, they give us what we need. Wow. We, we got to do. Yeah. Another one, broken backs, you know, what's the keys to broken backs? I don't know. I, you know what? It's, it's, it seems like a trend with you. Knock it off. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if we can hang out. Well, they, retired me. they were like, we got to get rid of this guy. Broken back. Get rid of him. Retire. <laughs> oh gosh. Wow. Dang, man. All right. So now you, uh, so you bail out of, or you get, sorry, not bail out of, you get restationed um, to Sacramento. And for most people out there that don't know, the Sacramento is a fixed win only unit. And so what's interesting is that you think rescue swimmer, you're jumping out of helicopters. Yes. But we also serve on the back of uh, some of the fixed wing because we, like you got Kodiak, you've got Clearwater, you got Sacramento, you know, and I'm just naming three off the top of my head. Um, we package all the parachutes and the, the drop gear equipment and we have to inspect all the survival gear on all the, the C-130s and all the other aircraft. They're all the oxygen. Exactly. So that's our job there. So you're going there. You're not, I'm going to say you're operational, but you're not operational swimmer. So, because again, you're in the back of a C-130 or fixed wing aircraft. So it's interesting that we, we don't actually talk about this enough. So I'm psyched you're here. You get to talk about it. The fixed wing community, they, they do a lot of support to the helicopter community. So if we go offshore with a helicopter, it's a C-130. I like to call it my guardian angel. They're flying around the top of us, keeping up comms to, to let everybody know they got stuff on video. They, you know, they're, it, it's an amazing, it, to have that backup over the top of you is awesome. Yes. But you guys do, or we Coast Guard, they do some very unique missions with C-130s and whatnot. And go ahead, what give everybody a perspective of what you had to do down there. Cause this, this is pretty cool. You know, as, well, as a young swimmer, when I was at Clearwater, you know, we were always given the option by the Master Chiefs. It's like, uh, all right, Keith, would you like to go fixed swing or rotor wing? I'm like, Master Chief, is that a real question? Of course I want to be rotor wing. So, you know, it was like, yeah. fixed wing was always the, 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 the hell side of our rage. You know, it's like, no, that's the dark side. You don't right. want to go to the dark side. You know, that's how it, we portrayed it, especially, you know, because we like to do what we like to do. We like to jump swim. out of helicopters and jump out. Right. Yeah. Free fall. <laughs> so I had the opportunity uh, when I left Cape May, I had that opportunity and I, and I took it. It was pretty cool, you know, and um, took care of all the planes, took care of the crew and the pilots, you know, they, uh, they need us because we give them all their gear. We give them their helmets, their cold underwear, everything they may need. If that C-130 crashes, we got sleds on there that are packed with all kinds of cool stuff, sleeping bags, stoves, anything you would need if your C-130 crashed in the Arctic and you needed to survive. Whatever we felt like putting in those sleds, we put in those sleds. Yeah. And um, it was really cool. I, I literally fell in love with my fixed wing family, Coast Guard family. They are amazing people. They, uh, it's, it is a different side from rotary wing, but it's, it was, I had a blast out there. I had a blast flying over Lake Tahoe with the ramp and the door open on a gunner's belt, sitting there, just looking at that beautiful lake. And I'm leaning over at the, my, my buddy back here, you know, my other drop master. And we got big spouses like life. 
life doesn't get any better than this, you know? It's, you know, I, and I always, always say, well, if we could just jump out of the back of this into the water would be pretty cool. So uh, very awesome things happened there as well. Um, Captain Eagle came in after we had some situation, you know, go down there. He came in as the new CEO. And we would do a lot of uh, flights for the, uh, the pararescue guys. And we would push them out of the back, you know, they, well, we wouldn't push and they would jump out of the C-130 and they, we would give them training. Well, there was this master chief. He was a tandem master, jump master from the Navy. And I said, you, uh, we were on the ground. I said, you know, what would be cool. What would be cool is if you'd let me jump with you, just tandem jump with the end of the ocean. I would do that. Now she, he says, well, let me work on some things. A couple months passed. Sure enough, he got with Captain Eagle. And Captain Eagle said, okay, we'll let five guys tandem jump. So three swimmers and three, you know, either a flight mechanic, a drop mess, someone, someone other than that wasn't an AST. So five, yeah, yeah. it was me, two other ASTs. Anyways, we, uh, we actually got to jump out of the back of the Coast Guard C-130. Oh, that is uh, about 13, 14,000 feet over San Francisco. And we jumped and me and the master chief, dude, it was awesome. We jumped out, we did two flips and he tapped me and goes, look up. And I look up and there's the C-130 flying, you know? And I was like, wow, how many swimmers get to see this dude? <laughs> and it was, I tell you what, when I hit the ground, I'm hugging that man. I said, you, I said, this is better than sex. This is better than socks. It's like, because it's not one feeling when you do that. It's like a million feelings come through your body. It's like, it's like being born. It's like being, God, God, it's just amazing. And it was, what topped it off was we jumped out of our own bird, our own bird. Man, it was like, whoo. Yeah. Captain Eagle. Kudos to Captain Eagle because he actually made that happen. It was a blast. That was fun. And, what, and then on another note, you know, when I got there, we had an older gentleman. He was a Coast Guard Auxiliary. He was always, you know, taking pictures. If we went to an event, uh, you know, we rescued some squirrel, uh, squirrels, turtles out of uh, San Diego and flew them to on a mission so we could save their lives. But he would take pictures of everything. And one day I come in and uh, everyone's called into uh, <clears throat> the briefing room and bad news he passed away. This Coast Guard auxiliary passed away. And we got together and we, me, I was part of the team that got to do a burial at sea for him. That's pretty cool. And dude, I'll tell you, that's another tearing up my heart because he was a beautiful man. He was an older gentleman, but he was, he loved the Coast Guard, if it's even close, as much as I love the Coast Guard. <laughs> I don't even think it's possible, but he was close. And he was just in a phenomenal individual. Yeah, we got to do a burial. Let's see, that's what he wanted. And I got to actually put him to rest at sea. That, man, that, that's, that's pretty cool. I was honored. Yeah. Totally honored. Yeah. Anyhow, let me get out of that one. I got to pull myself back. I'll it's start all good. It's all good. I'll start crying again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm okay with it. <laughs> man. Um, you had mentioned saving sea turtles. What, what is that? Yeah, we, uh, they needed, there was a, 
they had uh, gotten some sea turtles that were uh, hit by a boat or a, um, a cargo vessel. And they had brought them to shore and they managed to get them to the airport. And we flew into San Diego, uh, one of the airports there, and we loaded these turtles up with SeaWorld, you know, and they brought this big, huge, cool stuffed sea turtle. And it was just, it was awesome. The news was there. The whole, everybody covered this thing. It was like, wow, you thought we were transporting golden turtles. And in my, you know, I love sea life. I love animals. You know that. Yeah, yeah. It was cool. Anyways, we got to save their lives. We uh, transport them to another location that SeaWorld had for their re rehabilitation. And the crew from SeaWorld just were digging on how I was, you know, just really into what I was doing. They gave me the big turtle, the stuffed turtle. And I still have these lays on my bed, man. And looking at him just brings back, you know, it's always, yeah. I like, man, I got into uniform when I, you know, before I graduated high school, I was in a uniform. I went to army basic training before I graduated. Then I graduated and went active duty. You know, I hung my uniform up in 2014. I wore a uniform my whole life. I gave my youth to this country. I love America. And I gave my blood, sweat. I gave my body to this country to use as they saw fit. And I, I think they did a good job. God put me where I needed to save a lot of lives. And it was pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. Love it. Dude, I love it. I love it. Um, one of the other cool things about you in particular, and, and you and I, again, had this conversation offline. You're the only rescue swimmer to date that has ever been a company commander at boot camp. Yeah. Yep. That's sure. actually pretty cool. Yeah. Like, I was, yep. I, you know, it, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird thought. Like, oh, swimmer going to be a company commander, but no matter how you got there, like yeah. that, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I, 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 you want, if you want, I can skip over how I was. Yeah. That's probably more, more or less forced into it. I did not want to leave my swimmer brothers, but I was kind of forced into it. Anyways, I got there in 2005. I was there four years. It's a three year tour. I did four, but it was very difficult because I wasn't dealing with aviators. I was dealing with DCs, EMs, you know, the guys from the boat world, you know, uh, the black shoes. And it just, the, I'm not going to say, I guess the mentality, the, the way they had a look and the way I had, it was totally yeah. different. And they really hated me, you know? I took them as my Coast Guard brothers, but they looked at me as like, I don't know, a prima donna or this special person. Oh, he's one of, he's, a, he's not only an aviator, he's a friggin' rescue swimmer. They hated me. Dude, my first year and a half there was literally hell. I got treated like crap, not only by them, but the command. Wow. They, I was treated like, dude, my brothers, the class I was in, we all graduated. We were then, you know, gotten our cover. And within three to four months, they were lead company commanders. It took me almost two years before the command would allow me to become a lead company commander. Unheard of. Wow. But you know what? I grinned and bear it. A lot of people were saying, oh, now that you're pissed, you want to leave? I said, peace doesn't quit. Shit, I don't quit. I will be here and I will see through the muck and the crap. And no, I'm not leaving. Okay, great then. And I would just suck. I embraced the suck. because Embrace the suck. Yeah. Yes. You, know what, you know, it really 
here I am, right? You go back and you look at my record. Year one, two, three, four, five. Year 17, the 17th year of my Coast Guard career um, at Cape May. Everywhere. Recommended for advancement. Yes, 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 yes. Year 17. No. Really? I had taken the chief service wide a couple years already. And there was a no in there. And yes, there was a chief that hated me so much that she gave me such low marks. And she said, I wasn't ready to be a first class. Dude, let me tell you, I did go off on the individual because I'm like, you don't know me. You don't know what I do, but you're going to tell me I'm not ready for advancement. And I even went to the captain about it. And they were like, well, you know, it's a one-time thing. No, you don't understand. That's a blemish. That is a kick in the balls. Yeah. I said, anyways, I worked through it. And embrace the suck. I did. And let me tell you something. And it wasn't about the command. It was about my friggin' guardians. It was about graduating awesome, hardworking guardians. I graduated over 3,500 guardians into the Coast Guard. And let me tell you, it was a blast. I loved my recruits. I loved each and every one of them, man. And I never bullshitted them once. You know, Keist told them the straight shot. If, If I thought my company was being friggin' pulled down the wrong path or being told the wrong thing by their lead company commander. I may have been the assistant, but let me tell you something. When it was my night to have them, I would sit them down and I would tell them the straight skinny. And this is how the Coast Guard runs. This is what it's going to be like. Don't look at this individual. He's fake. And they're like, yeah, Pedersky, he even talks different. When he does, And we know he's trying to be somebody he's not. And they're always... And Pedersky's, you're always straight with it. You are always honest. You know, you let us know the straight skinny. You know what we're going to expect. And, you know, I've even gotten so far as, because the mass chief that was in charge there didn't like me either. He was a yeoman. And he was a mass chief. And uh, I think he was just jealous. I had more years in than he did. He just outranked me. And uh, it happens. Yes. More often than not, especially with our eight. It's, it's hard. Hey, if, if somebody doesn't retire or pass away, you don't get promoted. Uh, All right. Yeah. So um, he told me one time, he goes, I'm going to do a surprise inspection on your company uh, tomorrow. It'll be at uh, 1800. I'm like, as usual, Master Chief, Roger, that'll be ready. So I mustered my crew after dinner. And I said, look here, get this thing squared away. Master Chief's going to be over here to uh, inspect you all. It's a surprise inspection. You didn't hear that from me. But as I know, you'll just have to tidy up a few things because your squad bay is always tight. But don't be surprised. And I said, the reason I'm telling you this is because I always like to be front loaded on anything that I, that was going to happen. I hated when I would go into Clearwater and like, Keith, go home, pack. You're leaving on a special assignment. And I would kiss the wife goodbye. I grab my bags and I'd sit and wait for 48 hours. I'm like, I could have uh, been at home doing some things, you know, why didn't yeah. you tell me, you know, it wasn't even in play or they'd stand down and they didn't, they wouldn't tell you anything. Right. But yet they knew. So I said, I'm always going to be straight with you guys. I said, now, if you're pissing me off, my company would piss me off. I'm, like, I'm not going to set, I'm going to set you up where you're going to get your butts chewed. Yeah. And very seldom my companies ever need that. They were really squared away kids and it was always about them. And uh, I had a great time stepping out of rate to be a company commander. I got to wear the Smokey the Bear hat for four years. And uh, when you know you did your job right is, you know, when they did, they would do a ditty bag, you know, they would paint a picture on it and then 
all the recruits would sign their name. Some of them, man, Hasten, let me tell you, Petty Officer Keast, I will never forget everything that you taught me during my time here in basic training. You showed me more than my father has ever or even wanted to show me. I look up to you more than I look up to my own father. Wow. Dude, I, I would cry reading some of these ditty bags, but I was genuine to my recruits. I didn't show them anything I wasn't, you know, and yeah. I loved them. I loved being able to mold and touch the beginning of a Coast Guard individual, dude. It was just cool. absolutely amazing to touch them and, and point them and just hopefully, you know, when they're in a situation, they're like, you know what? Ted Keys told me it's going to, the situation is going to suck, but it's going to change because there's going to be a bad command or there's going to be a bad first class, but it's not going to be forever. Yeah. I'm going to change units. He's going to change units and it's going to get better. I said, always look to the silver lining, you know, because yeah. you know that you'd go to somewhere yeah. and you just bumped heads with somebody. They just, they were just jackasses, you know, you're never going to get along with everybody. No, it, absolutely. Mean, you, you gotta, you gotta learn to work around it. You just, you just have yeah. to. So, I mean, I, I've, I've had my disagreements with people. It, I mean, I, and I'm, I'm man enough to, to step up to it now and say, you know what? We didn't agree on this and I was in the wrong. I'm sorry. Uh, own it. Own it. Yep. Extreme ownership right there. Thank you, Jocko Willink. You're welcome. <laughs> and I told him, I said, you know what? I said, I would tell him if you're in a situation and you're debating whether or not to do something good or bad. I said, if it's going to appear on the front page, front page of your hometown newspaper, it's going to be plastered all over that. If you're okay with what you're about to do to be plastered on the front page of your hometown too, then go ahead and do it. Yeah. If you're not, then I don't think you need to do it. Right. And that was one of my big spiels, you know, Yeah. and always take ownership. And if you're wrong and if you broke something, if you did something wrong, Tell somebody. Own it. Admit it. Somebody could die, you know, especially if you guys want to go aviation. If you break something or tweak something, not sure, grab something and say, hey, you know, chief, I did this. Can you come look at it? I might have broken it, you know? Let's fix it if it's wrong. Don't think, oh, well, they're not. I'm I'm going to get in trouble. You won't get in trouble. You know, go own up just because somebody could die because of your mistake. Well, all right. All right. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You might get in a little trouble because you broke it. But, but everything's going to be okay because we're going to fix it. And then you've now learned something. From your mistake. You learn from your mistake. Move on. Mind blown. Epiphany. Oh, that's funny. So, all right. I, I got I to gotta tell you a little side story that, that I think is funny for me. And, and now I'm picturing you right now because so you were in the gym every day while you were at a, a company commander. And yes, I was. again, you and I talked offline and how, how big was your bicep? How big was it? I, I got my biceps to a little bit over 22 inches. They, they were literally the same size as Arnold Schwarzenegger's arms. I was 245 pounds. I, let me tell you something. There was one day I actually went and I worked out with my BD, my uh, ODUs on, right? And had my, I would always get my, I had to roll them up further because they just had to go way up. Anyways, Show I had to have two of my recruits cut me out of my freaking uniform at night. I couldn't get out of it. So my yeoman and my, my squad base, they had to come to my office and literally cut me out of my, my top. I couldn't get out of it. 
So, oh my gosh. <laughs> but dude, I loved it. I was able to really, well, because the, the command there, they always push, you need a command presence. When they look at you, you they just need, you're going to get the respect just by them looking at you. And I'm like, yeah. oh, I can do that. I can, I can, I can make myself come in at present. And I did. Oh my God. My recruits used to say, Pat, you know, this is when we got to talk. Yeah. We were so, we were shaking our boots. We're like, oh my God, how did we get this friggin' mountain to be our CC? He's going to kill us. And then, of course, they, they turn out, you, you turn out to just be a teddy bear. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I know. I'm all going. So what I what I love about that is when I showed up to boot camp, I will never forget this. Like the bus pulls up, and I could totally see you doing this. This is what this is what makes this fun. Bus pulls up, stops. The driver gets out. It's quiet on the bus. CC gets on the bus, doesn't say a word. He's looking back and forth as he's walking down the aisle. He turns around. He walks back towards the door. He stops. He turns at us. He says, "You've got ten seconds to get off this bus. You wasted five. And then just step off. And then we're like, ah. Go, 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 go. Yep. That's, that's, all about, right? that's, all, that's all I want to say. Yeah, Sexton Hall. The arrival at Sexton Hall. Oh, my gosh. Good times, brother. Yes. I was the uh, welcoming committee for a yeah. while there at Sexton Hall. Yes, a lot of fun. Lots of fun. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Get on your triangles. Get yes. on your triangles. Yes. Like, there, there is such an impression of my mind in boot camp, like the day I showed up. I was scared out of my freaking mind. Like, what the hell did I just sign up for? <laughs> and that's what I wanted. I wanted to do that for the rest of the, the new guys coming in, the oh, new guardians. I had to do that. But that let me tell you, while I was a CC there, I, I it was great because I actually made several females and several males piss themselves because they were so afraid. I made a, I made a dude shit himself. Uh, because I scared him so bad. And when I was doing prior service, because I got the chance to run prior service, I had a prior Navy female. I started her period two weeks early because I scared the piss out of her so bad. I made her menstruate two weeks early. How many people can say they've done that? You're a dick. How many? (laughs) (laughs) Dang. Come on, Ken. Yeah, I know. You know, Listen, I'm not many people know that. Not many people know that. Now everyone knows that. <laughs> Good times, Bubba. Good times. Oh, you are freaking hilarious. I love it. Jeez. All right, so let's let's move on to the next one because not only were you doing, uh, again, bringing up the new generation of entire Coast Guard people, uh, yes. you know, Coast Guard, the Guardians, as we like to call ourselves. You uh, you went to A school. Yes. That, Very cool. So now you're not only now you're just you're you're bringing up the next generation of the rescue swimmers. Yep, swimmer and looking at some dude with the freaking biceps the size of Lou Ferrigno. Awesome. Yeah, man, I'll tell you, it was it was an honor. It was a it was a it was a huge honor to be even accepted because when I showed up, I'm actually on that. There's a plaque out front of the brand new thirty million dollar training facility. You know, it's like the plank owners and hey, there's. You know, it's Daryl K. Keast. You know, everybody knows me as Ken Keast, but my real name is Daryl Kenneth Keast. I just hated the name Daryl ever since I was a little kid. So my mom and dad called me Ken. So Ken is where it's at. Anyhow, uh, yeah, out of SACDO, I was, you know, I made chief and I got to go to the Swimmer Factory 
And what an honor it was just to be selected as uh, a phase chief to train the future rescue swimmers. You know, the guys that are going to be out there saving lives, changing lives, yeah. and even changing, possibly changing the course of history because they brought somebody back. You know, I've always thought this, you know, that person that they saved, did that person go on to, you know, do something for their company where it made it better for a thousand people? One person, did you do something that changed the life? Of, you know what I mean? It's just yeah. something that I've been retired. I think a lot on, you know, you know, God puts us in strange places and we might not understand why, you know, you just smile and say, God, you got me. I know I'm going to do whatever you want. I just don't understand right now. And uh, when you're retired, you can, you get to reflect on a lot of that. And yeah. it was tough. I mean, we'd get 30 students, you know, and they looked like they could all possibly graduate, you know, and we're at the end of not even the end of the first week, we're down to 10. Yeah. More than half are gone. The first five days gone. Yeah. Mentality. It's yes. a rescue swimmer mindset, you know, like a shout <laughs> out to want. the rescue swimmer mindset podcast too. I mean, those guys, you know, like there is a mindset there that yes. you have to have. Um, yeah. I, yeah. Oh gosh. And I went to ASM school. My mindset, what I told myself is, look, I'm going to graduate a ASM or I'm leaving in a body bag. Yeah. They're either going to kill me or I'm graduating. There's no other friggin' way. Those are the right. only two ways. Yeah. You got to tell yourself and you got to yeah. live that. Uh, but I was the same way. You yeah. get like, I'm, I'm not getting out of this pool. I'm not. And, and actually, so Sean Lansing uh, like was my mentor as an airman. And one of the things he said to me, which I still think about all this time is if you can get out of the pool right now and walk back to the barracks, you can do another lap. If you can do another lap, you're one lap closer to graduating. Nice. Rod, like, yeah. I mean, awesome. just, just, just keep swimming. Come on, Dory. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. <laughs> I love it. My wife loves that movie though. Oh, that's great. Oh she loves it. Right. But like, there is a mindset you have to have when going to yes. swimmer school. You have to have it. And as instructors, your job, again, I, and I'm like, I, I was never an A school instructor, so I can't speak like from uh, experience, but I know enough to, you got, you got to weed out the weak and the ones that can't handle it because yeah, they, you're the they, only yeah, one yeah. going out there to get people. Yeah. You know, here's a, here's a thing that I, I would tell these cats, you know, when I would introduce myself as their face chief, I said, look, I said, the Coast Guard is the only branch of service where a fully fledged, minted, signed, sealed and delivered. You've got your rescue swimmer wings. You're on that friggin' helicopter. You're going to save a life you, as a third class petty officer. The only branch of service where a third class petty officer can tell a commissioned officer what's going down and how you, it's going to go down as a third class petty officer. It's the only branch of service. So yeah. yes, we train some of the most amazing, awesome individuals. Do I say I'm a little, you know, I love my swimmers. Yeah, man, because they've got a heart of gold, man. And they're going to do their best. They're going to, They've sworn to die for you. Yeah. You know, I only know one man that's done that. That's Jesus Christ. Right. You know, he died for all of us. And you know what? You're doing just what Jesus said to do, man. There is no greater honor than to lay your life down for your brother. Yeah. Man. And I believe that's in every heart and soul of every single rescue swimmer. Oh, totally. Yeah. 100%. It guides us, man. 
Yeah. Just think about it. You know, you're like an angel flying out. You know, you're going into hell to bring those people out of hell. You, God wants you to get the people out of hell. And you're going to do it. You do it. And you, you fly back as an angel and you, you save the people. Man, it's awesome. I've got all these pictures in my head. But it's I cool. It. I love her. I love my swimmers, man. They're awesome. I love all the crew. I love my flight backs. I love my pods. But yeah. I just got a special tender place, you yeah. know, for my brothers and my Finn brothers, as yeah. Mario Marini uh, uh, would say, my yep. Finn brother. Yep. I love Mario Marini. That dude is, I don't know if you've talked to him. He's a crazy man. He's out there in Oregon, but he's yep. a good guy. I love him. Weed. I love you, Mario Marini. Uh, yeah. Shout out to Mario. Come on, Mario. Actually, you know what? He hasn't been on here yet. We got to get him on here. He's a good guy. He is. And uh, as you know, I'll tell you, so everybody knows, I am battling cancer and I'm fighting it. I'm doing the best I friggin' can. And Mario's, he'll, he'll get on there and he'll, he'll get he, for what out of the blue and he just pulls me out of my funk. You know, I had, I was, in 2017, I was diagnosed with, with prostate cancer and uh, the VA did a really shitty job. They said it was very low key. I had many years to wait and because there was only a few things I could do. Well, the following year, I just didn't feel right about it. I saw a civilian and they're like, Mr. Keast, you've got some extremely aggressive prostate cancer. You know, and a 10, it's called a Gleason scale and 10 on that Gleason scale, there's no return. If you're, you're 10, you're going to die. I was an eight. Wow. So eight, nine and 10 is grouped together. So um, they went in, they did a robotic surgery. They removed my prostate. They removed my semen vesicles because the cancer had made its way there. And when I went back to see the surgeon, he's a real rock star, uh, Vipal Patel, and he's done 18,000 of these people come from different places of the world to see him. Uh, he says, look, we, we did a, like a three centimeter circle outside after we removed your prostate, you have a positive margin. And what that means is your cancer has escaped somewhere into your body, but we don't know where. It's going. We don't know where. Um, and he said, I pulled all these records in. And because of your age, it's very rare at one because of your age. He said, but I can give you a life expectancy of two to 10 years. It's a very so, broad margin. Yeah. You know, and I was like, really? He goes, yeah. He says, now, you know, I'm not saying I'm going to lock you in there. He says, but you had some, you know, the cancer escaped. So anyways, I went through radiation. I went through like 50 days nonstop every single day. I uh, finished that up about a month and a half ago. That does things to you you don't even want to know. Um, I'm taking some oral chemo drugs, uh, stopping the testosterone production down because the testosterone is what's feeding my cancer. And I'm on this new drug that was, it's only been out for six months, but I just saw my civilian urologist and he says, this drug's supposed to be squashing that testosterone. He says, I don't know what your body is doing, but- you're fighting it and your testosterone is going back up. I mean, you're kidding me. I said, that's not good. He goes, no, because this drug goes right to my pituitary gland and tells it, stop, stop all testosterone. He said, uh, your body's uh, pretty much flipping the bird, that drug, and it's producing it anyways. <laughs> he says, so we're going to check you again in another six weeks and uh, we'll see where we're, see where we're going to go next. So yeah, in about five, six weeks, I'll find out what's next down my cancer treatment line. Yeah. Everybody out there, pray for me. There's a lot of people praying for me. Keep it up. Uh, you know ready. what? I'm praying for you, my brother. Like, yeah, yeah, you, know, you are You are always in my thoughts and prayers, man. Dude, I Thank love you, Ken. Come on. 
Yeah, I love you too. I'm kissing the screen. You see, that that's, that just got weird. I'm okay with it. Actually, it's up here. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, my brother. Yeah, yeah, totally. No, I'll tell you what, Ken. Like, you know, with everything you've just given us today, uh, from stories to just everything. Yeah. If there's one thing you could tell everybody, you know, just before we sign off, little generalized statement, little advice. Little, little, little Ken Keese words of wisdom, what would it be? Well, I tell you what, there's one thing that's always stuck in my head. And it was told to me, I was uh, cross country track in high school. And my track coach told me, he says, Ken, he says, throughout your life, he says, do you need to do one thing? He says, because I see you do this. He says, never take the easy way out. Dang. Oh, and I like I've that. never taken the easy way out, ever. No, the easy, that's for everybody else. That's the tough, that's the hard road. That's what I want. I'm going to change that road. You know, if it was easy, everybody would do everybody it. Everybody would do it, yep. That's why we're so limited. Rescue swimmers are so limited, man. That's it. We're very unique. We're crazy. We're a little bit crazy. We're a little crazy. Just a <laughs> Uh, yeah, I keep telling my wife I'm really not, but I, at this point, I don't think she believes me anymore. <laughs> Mine's giving up. He knows I'm crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good. You got to be, man. Oh, God. Who else is going to go out in the dark at night in that frigging in the butt of a hurricane, the middle of a hurricane, whatever, and just go, I'm going, dude. I'm, put I'm me in. in it. I'm doing it. You know? Put me in, coach. Come on, yeah, I, I it. do it. I love it. Yeah. That's it, bro. Don't take me. Dude, I cannot thank you enough for coming on to The Real Rescue and just sharing these stories. You are amazing, my friend. I, I love you. I'm so honored you chose to talk to me. It's like, I'm just the keys, as Henry Gummis would say, Keystone! <laughs> <laughs> Not many people know Henry Gummis. He's a very intelligent man. I told him to go to college when he was a new third-class swimmer in ASM, and he did. He's a smart man. He is very smart, making a lot of money now up there in, uh, in Michigan. Another brother of ours. Another yeah. brother. Yep. Doing well. I love yes. it. Anyhow, you are, thank you for calling me. Thank you for talking with me. And thank you and anybody and all my buddies out there. I don't care. I love you all. All my Coast Guard pilots, flight mechs, everyone. C-130 fixed wing. You have made who I am today. Dude, we love you. you, man. I love you. Love you, too. You're the best. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are out of here. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Real Rescue Podcast. Please take a minute and like my daughters like to tell me, like and subscribe. Oh, yeah. I'm pulling chocks and taking off. But before I go, if anyone out there has a rescue story that they would be willing to share, I would be humbled and honored to have you as a guest. Or if you have any questions about any of the rescues or anything else that we talk about here on this podcast, send me an email, therealrescue at gmail.com. That's T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q at gmail.com. You can also check us out on our Facebook and Instagram page at The Real Rescue. That's at T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q. I also want to give a special thank you to all of you standing on the watch today. Always remember that when that SAR alarm goes off, those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. 
Until next time, fly safe and swim hard. <laughs>